verse 18. 1 Peter 1, 18. At the risk of being tedious, we would say again how we thank you for your interest in the gospel and in our church and ministry. 1 Peter 1.18, this evening I would like to explain to you some of the cultural difficulties and the religious opposition that we face so that you would be able to think more carefully about the world in general and pray for missionaries in general. Got Green light. That's on. This text will give us a general principle... And so I'd like to give us general principles tonight for how to think about the world, number one, how to think about missionaries, number two, and then some very specific applications for the place we're ministering in. And it will all come from this verse, this 18th verse as illustrations. First Peter one, verse 18, for as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. From your. Now, if you're looking in your Bibles, there are three Greek words, but there are many English words here, and this is our text for the evening. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And I would like to discuss this evening demonic opposition. As a missionary, I have seen demonic opposition. But when you think about demons maybe overseas, you may have the idea of people falling on the ground and shaking, or possibly a small man or a slender woman with unusual strength, overthrowing a table or speaking with a deep, gravelly, unnatural voice. We have not seen that. But we have seen demonic opposition. So I want to start with the scripture and then work outward from that. What does scripture say when it deals with what are demonic opposition or what is the kind of demonic opposition that you should expect if you're serving in ministry or as a pastor? Well, just if I could go back to this text, 1 Peter 1.18, look at these words. Futile, that's the word vain, useless, profitless. Way of life, that's conversation, culture, inherited from your forefathers. There's the source. You got this from your ancestors. This is a textbook definition of animism or the religion of many of the peoples in India, China, and Africa. Look again at those words. Vain or profitless, useless, way of life or culture. Now just read that with those words substituted, and you will have some people who will get offended. Here it is. Your useless culture that you got from your ancestors. That would be offensive on college campuses today. If you come in and say, you have a culture that's useless, they would call that racism. 
That's not racism at all. But that's what they would call it. We stand with Peter, though, who calls a certain way of life useless and profitless. Now, let's just look at the rest of Scripture on this. If you can't read these small words, I'll read this up here. They worshipped demons whom they called gods. Deuteronomy 32:17. What does the Bible call the gods of false religion? Everyone say the word. What does the Bible call them? The word's right there. It starts with a D. Demons. That's the Bible's word for the false gods of the world. I didn't say that. That's the Bible's word. The Gentiles worship demons, which they think of as gods. 1 Corinthians 8, 4. Demons have popular doctrines, 1 Timothy 4, 1. And if you read 1 Timothy 4, it sounds like the doctrines of a very popular church that calls itself Christian. If you just read that verse, it sounds like it was taken from that church's creed. That church's creed. Sinners worship demons, Revelation 9.20. Now, how many people openly call themselves Satanists? Well, less than 1% of the world. Very, very few percent of people call themselves Satanists. But Revelation 9.20 says, sinners worship who? Demons. That's the Bible's answer. The religions of the world are controlled by demons, Ephesians 6.10 principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spirit and the, who, who now works in the children of disobedience, these are all demons. Now, I want to talk to you about African religion. And that religion is the same as this. It was spawned by demons to deceive and trick people. 2 Corinthians 4 says... The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe the truth, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ should shine in their hearts. Demons are doing that. This is not an alternative way. It's not equal. It's not valid. This is demonic. Now, our world has gone insane, which is not surprising because Titus 1.15 says, to the unbelieving, their mind And their conscience is corrupted or defiled. What do you call a person who has a corrupt mind and a corrupt conscience? If your mind doesn't work right and your conscience doesn't work right, they would call that person insane. Scripture describes people who are trapped in false religion as having a kind of insanity. That is why the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They're not physical that you can touch. We are dealing with spiritual realities. Now, because I'm about to say some very negative things about a religion, and because our world is so intoxicated with its own foolish wisdom that they call wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 contrasts the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. And it calls the wisdom of this world foolishness repeatedly. So we should expect people who think of themselves as wise to call God's word foolish. Now, because I'm going to say some harsh things about a religion, let me just be very clear that there is common grace in African culture and in all the cultures of the world. Does anyone know what common grace is? Common grace is grace that God gives that doesn't save us. Is that clear? Do do we all get grace 
in our lives outside of salvation? Can unbelievers be married? Can they drink Coke? Can they sit on soft chairs? Can they enjoy the sun and the rain and go to the beach? That's all called common grace. Here's just some of the marks I could go on about common grace in African culture. They love children. They bear suffering with great patience. Um, I could give examples over and over of these. My children might be intimidated to go to other people. If you come, like when you come next year to visit me, it's going to be great. You're going to see this. If we're in a setting where there are African children, if you have a baby, that baby will gladly run to other people in the group. My children, they're afraid, timid. No, they're not timid to climb trees and break things and what, but they're timid to go to other people. The Africans love children. In fact, my name is not Seth anymore. It's father of Caleb. If you call me Seth, they would count that as rude. It's like you're trying to break into my personal space and really get too close to me. And besides, don't I love my kids? Why would I even want to be called Seth anymore? Now that I've got Caleb, I'm father of Caleb. My whole identity is lost. I got this guy. And she is not Amy. She's mother of Caleb. You don't call people by their name. What, what's that? They love children. That's a grace. They support each other in times of suffering. Uh, at funerals. I preached at a funeral in America years ago with about 10 people present. I've never been in an African funeral with less than 100 people. Usually it's over 300. Usually. I've been at funerals with thousands. I'm talking in a village. I've been in a village with thousands of people present for a funeral. It is very common to block roads when a funeral comes. People will drive six hours, eight hours, 12 hours. I mean, people who have very little money will drive six to eight to 12 hours or get a bus to come to a funeral. If they have vacation time, they will commonly take vacation time to go to a funeral. That's not too common in Western culture. There is grace in African culture. They respect each other by using titles. No one would, even if they, they don't call you, okay, maybe by your child's name, they would never say your first name. They refer to you in the plural. So if you're talking about uh, Asa and you respect him, you would never say he is coming. You have to say they are coming. They, because I give so much respect to him that I think of him as a whole group of people. That's how much dignity he has. Not just the dignity of one man, but of many people. You have to speak about people in the plural. So every African woman speaks about her husband in the plural. My wife always speaks to me and about me. If I ever overhear her speaking to others, she always has to speak to me in the about me in the plural. And I'm confident, even if I wasn't there, she would speak about me in the plural because the other women would be scandalized what you're talking about your husband without giving him respect these are marks of grace and there's other marks they love to laugh um they are generous i have many times been given food uh, chicken feet by very poor people when i just come to visit so there are marks of common grace what i'm about to say is dealing with the religion not the biology i'm not saying people who have this biological makeup are these things. I'm saying this religion has these marks. So with that, let's look at them. What is the useless way of life that was passed down from their ancestors? African traditional religion, right there at the top. That's not my name. That's the name in the African textbooks. 
right now in the schools, this is what they call the religion, African traditional religion. I'm going to call it ATR. If you'd like to read more about this, because I'm going to go quickly through this, you can see this on my blog. I read it, sonofcarry.com, and I've written five lengthy articles. on. The, I've written lots of articles on this topic. One of the recent ones is called, There is No Fear of God Before Their Eyes. You can just scroll down and find that one. So if you're interested in this topic, feel free to look at more, or I can give you a reading list if you're really interested. What are the beliefs of this religion? Let's study some theology. We learned theology this morning about the one true God. Let's get some theology about African traditional religion. Here's the main beliefs. Number one, how many gods are there? A lot. The Tsonga word for God is Shkwembu. Shkwembu. I'll say it once more and then you can say it back. Shikwembu. Can you say it with me? Try it. Shikwembu. Perfect. Now, the problem is, in 1875, missionaries from Switzerland arrived and started working there in, uh, among the Tonga-speaking people. Now, here was the difficulty. They wanted to say, what do we translate as God? But there was no word for God, so they took the word Shikwembu. Now, Shikwembu means the spirit that doesn't have a body. So if you've ever gone to a funeral, that dead body has a spirit, and they call that spirit a shkwembu. Now, in the Tonga Bible, Jehovah is called shkwembu. Does anyone see a problem? What we think of as a soul, they've now translated in the Bible as Jehovah. But the problem is that in every African mind, these she, well, one Departed spirit is a shikwembu. Many is a shikwembu. I won't ask you to say that. Shikwembu. Now, shikwembu, in the African mind, there are shikwembu everywhere because every person who's died is a shikwembu. So in their minds, there are millions of shikwembu. And when I come over preaching about the one true shikwembu, they say, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we've got lots of them over here, lots of them, lots of them, lots of them, and you're coming to bring another? That's fine. We love talking about the shikwembu, especially the white man's shikwembu, because white people's shikwembu gives them power to have cement roads and cell phones and pens. So let's get connected with all of the shikwembu that we can be connected with. There are many gods, and they're always active. In African religion, the gods are constantly active, but I have never heard of a shikwembu who does something kind. All of the Shkwembu, all their activity is doing bad things. It was that Shkwembu that made you fail last year. It was that Shkwembu that made you lose your job. It was that Shkwembu, can you believe it, that makes women fat. If your crops fail, it's a Shkwembu. I have heard numerous young people who failed at school said, I was bewitched. What does that mean? Except that someone else was jealous, so they somehow had connection with the Shikwembu, and they got these Shikwembu when you weren't looking, and you failed because of those spirits. It was all witchcraft. It's all voodoo. It's all the spirit world. And what do you think they're going to do next year to change? This year they failed, but it was the fault of who? Oh, that Shikwembu. So next year, what do you think they're going to change? Nothing. So we have kids who commonly graduate at 23, and many, many kids who don't graduate. These gods are always active. They're responsible for everything. They're behind every bush. They're everywhere doing everything. Uh, Example, 
I did the funeral for a nurse who passed away. She had a four-year degree. She was working at the hospital in another village started by missionaries. She died of malaria. Malaria is curable. But for the first two weeks, she went to the witch doctor. Why? Because even though she had a science degree, look at the next point. These are unknowable and arbitrary. Because even though she had a science degree, she had never changed her worldview. She still said she called herself a Christian, by the way. And she had a science degree, but deep in her heart, she was sure that even though she called herself a Christian, even though she went to church, even though she had a science degree, the world is really controlled by all these unknowable, intangible spirits of differing powers. Imagine that kind of world. What does it produce? You can't possibly have knowledge. That's over on this side somewhere. Ignorance. In this worldview, you cannot know anything. Example, if your crops fail this year, you're not going to say, well, let me test and plant different crops. Let me irrigate with more water. Because why did your crops fail? Those spirits. What you're rather going to do is go to the witch doctor with what little wealth you have left and see if there's some way that he can throw the bones and find out who was it. It was Delbert. He's the one that worked voodoo on me. Then I'm going to work voodoo on him. That is the attitude. It is constant. It is an atmosphere of fear at all times because you never know who worked witchcraft on you. And it is it is inside the worldview like your culture's inside you. Whatever you grow up with for 40 years, it's pretty hard to change your thinking in that way. Well, when they grow up with this religion in their background, it's very difficult to change. It's very difficult to take this out. In fact, it's impossible. It needs the power of the gospel. Um, talk about ignorance. This religion will not allow for any knowledge because the reason, for example, that this will fall is because not gravity, not laws. There are no laws in African religion that fell because some shkwembu caused it to happen that way. And next week, we can't count on this always falling. So why bother forming a law about centrifugal force? Why bother looking up at the planets and discovering things? Why bother inventing anything because the world's not controlled by laws? It's controlled by fickle spirits. Do you see what I mean when I say this religion hampers all knowledge? I read an interesting book some time ago by uh, Nickel, James Nickel. Uh, It's called Mathematics. Is God Silent? And in that book, he argues that two plus two is four because Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you go to any other worldview, you still believe that two plus two is four, but you can't justify why you believe it. You can't really ultimately explain why is two plus two four unless there is a God who controls all the world by the word of his power, upholding all things. It's only Christ that can explain that. So it promotes poverty. Uh, Every religion has an economic system. And the economic system of ATR is called the limited good. Have you ever heard of the limited good? 
okay, uh, Jeff, you're hungry. Everybody here is hungry. And there's a bag of apples up here at the front. It's got 10 apples in it. And everybody here is hungry. And you're hungry too. You got a family. So you're going to come up here and take some apples. How many apples are you going to take? There's only 10. <laughs> you're going to take them all. He's going to take them all. Now, what happens when he takes them all is that Daryl and Daryl, Daryl and Daryl are getting along and saying, hey, 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 where's the apples? Hey, let's uh, let's step out in the parking lot and do a little uh, a little business with with uh, Mr. Rose here. And we're going to we're going to teach him a lesson about economics, ATR style. See, that's the attitude. Why is it that there are riots over wealth? Why is it that? That all through the history, when someone has this, hey, we should have that. That's not fair. When the Christian view is, if you want an apple, go plant the seed. Tend the tree. Let it grow. Invent some apple butter. It's beautiful. That's the Christian idea. And then in time, grow an orchard and pass it on to your kids. And then eventually you'll control the whole apple industry. But isn't this brilliant of Satan, this is his master stroke to keep the entire place so poor that they cannot even record their own language. They cannot have enough food for the next month. Therefore, if we're entirely trapped by our economics, we can't do anything except take care of the very next meal. You can't think about great things that matter. How in the world can you really devote yourself to, as Jesus says, strive to enter at the narrow gate? How can you do that when you've got it every second? How do I even stay alive? That's a brilliant move on his part, a vile and wicked move on his part to say, I'm going to trap an entire people group, an entire cluster of countries with this dark religion. Isn't it what? Isn't it what First Peter said? It's a useless way of life received from the ancestors. Why is it that the continent is poor? Because of the religion. It has nothing to do with biology, which is what, if you were here this morning, you saw. When they started out their project in 2012, they said, let's write America and ask for money. When they finished their project, they said, we don't need it. We're not inferior to the white man. We can do it if we work and plan. And that is the slow breaking off of all the, the years, the millennia of encrusted patterns of sin. ATR prohibits art. Compare a traditional drum to a Stradivarius violin. Again, that has nothing to do with racism. It has to do with, look at the two. A Steinway piano is made of 69 layers of paneled wood. That's amazing. That religion is contrasted with Christianity. Uh, maybe you can't see this back there. I'll just read through this list. Josh, can you see anything up there? A little bit. It's godless because there's no trinity. Remember, there's no shikwembu at the top. It's lawless. There's no written law. There are many taboos, but there's no law and there's no punishment for the taboos, for breaking the taboos. Purposeless. There's no divine purpose to the world. Distinctionless. I'm sorry I made that word up distinctionless. There's no clear difference between the creature and the creator. That is one of the foundational teachings of Christianity. There is a God and it's not you. But here in ATR, there's no distinction. 
all of us are little gods, and as soon as we die, we really become godlike. But in biblical Christianity, there's one true God, and when you die, you have to meet him. Rather different, crossless, there is no atonement for sin. If you have ever been at a funeral in the rural places, it will break your heart to see them weep because they are hopeless, because they are crossless. There's, they know they're sinners. It's written in their hearts. They experience it every day, the fear, the terror, the guilt. And when they come to die, the wailing that takes place at those funerals will break your heart unless you labor to be callous. It's judgmentless. Just imagine what men would do. You saw that video a few minutes ago. Imagine what men would do if they know there is no judgment in the future. In the country that I live in, the Zulu people killed two million of the Ndebele people. That's black on black. That is a magnitude of order beyond whatever white people have done to kill black people. And white people have done some horrid, horrid things. It's one religion devouring the rest of it. Why not? There's no judgment. When we die, we all become Shukwembu. It's what makes Idi Amin in Uganda kill 250,000. And what's amazing is when Idi Amin died, the next man who came in, they thought, oh, we'll get some relief. He killed 300,000. And the press doesn't even uh, say his name. Joseph Mobutu in Congo. 1958, when he comes to power, he steals 4 billion U.S. dollars and forces the Congo to be the poorest country in the world. Over and over, it happens because of the religion. Now, we got one problem, because I just described to you the traditional religion. Are you also busy with this picture that you can't hear on the saying here? I just described to you the traditional religion, but if you pick up a book or just Google right now while I'm talking, which you shouldn't be doing in church, you can find out that 75% of my country claims to be Christian. And if you go north to Zimbabwe, it's what, 80% or something claim to be Christian in Zimbabwe. If you go further north to Zambia, 86% claim to be Christian. It is not hard to find people who call themselves Christian. But what kind of Christianity? Now, for the next few minutes, about nine minutes, I want to show you what kind of Christianity is dominant. If you hear this and want more information, I wrote a lengthy book on this, over 100 pages. Not that lengthy, because lengthy books are long. This is just paper for a class. It's about 100 pages or so with lots more documentation, lots more pictures, and personal stories. Here's a bumper sticker that I found. I am a wonder. And just look at these guys on the picture. What do you notice about the people there? Tell me some things you notice about the people there. Dressed well. And they're, they're, they're posed so you can see rings. Ring, ring, ring. You've got to be able to see all that. And then, I am a wonder. Forget the fact that they're taking it out of context and they don't understand what the word means. Does this say Humility. Does it sound like our Lord's first word, blessed are the poor in spirit? Does it sound like our Lord's second word, blessed are those who mourn, those who mourn over their sin? Look at this lady, Agape City, 2016, 
The year of God to match the standard. Pause right there. The year of God to match the standard. I'm exegeting their bumper stickers now. You didn't think you were coming to church for that, did you? What this means, the year of God to match the standard is vague positivity. In other words, God talk. God talk is using religious terms to get your physical goal. They have a physical goal. They want your money. And they're going to use religious terms that are positive and vague. That's the key. You learn those two things, you can be a great false teacher in Africa. Positive terms, very vague. Right there, the year of God to match the standard. What does that mean? It means this. Believe it. Notice there's no object. See, what are we believing? We don't want to be clear. We want to be vague. Pray about it. Speak it. Keep it. Grab it. What are you talking about? Run with it? Release it? You can laugh. Go ahead and laugh. It's ridiculous. It's not only bad logic. It's terrible theology. It has nothing to do with repentance. Here's a guy that's very popular. Raise your hand if you know who this guy is. Of course, my kids know him. This is T.B. Joshua, a Nigerian false prophet who is all over the TV stations. Those satellite dishes you saw this morning, they're playing this guy. And look what he sells. Anointing water. That's the front of the box. Here's the back. It has the picture of a hand being crucified, blood dropping out. And as the blood drops, it turns into water and falls down. And then this box of water is called the blood of Jesus. Right here it says the blood of Jesus is for the salvation of your soul. You buy that water and you, you get in that water, he calls it, the blood of Jesus. And it will set you free from sin, sickness, and hardship as you minister it in Jesus' name. Buy my water and you get salvation. This guy's even worse. He's a very popular Malawian preacher who's moved to South Africa. Malawi this year was on the top 10 poorest, last year, top 10 poorest countries in the world. Malawi, it's a little country beside Mozambique. And Zambia. This guy's from Malawi. Remember, top 10 poorest countries in the world. South Africa is the richest country on the continent of Africa. So this guy leaves Malawi, poorest country in the world, not the poorest, but in the top 10, leaves there and goes where? To South Africa, the richest country on the continent. And he doesn't just go anywhere. He goes to the richest place in the richest country. He goes to Santon and he starts his church there. Look at this guy right here, smiling away. On there, what animal do you see? A lion. Can anyone read the inscription? Go back. Can anyone read the inscription up here? Lion of Judah. What book of the Bible is that phrase found in? Revelation chapter 5. It's found one time in your Bible. And whom, to whom does it refer? Jesus Christ, he calls himself the Lion of Judah. Not just here, but in many places. He has whole bumper stickers with this. In one of the most recent ones, he calls himself the Angel Gabriel. He also calls himself the one who can say, let there be light. But this is not surprising because I have talked to pastors who have said to me, I am God and you are God. And that's not surprising because I know African traditional religion. Now, if you were talking to that pastor, the pastor who told me, I am God and you are God. If you were talking to him, you might have said something like this. 
hi, what's your name? And he would say, oh, whatever, Joseph Masaule or something. You say, oh, okay, good to meet you. Are you a Christian? Oh, I am a Christian. Christian, Yes, I am a Christian. Oh, do you love Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. Okay, great. Wow. So where's your church? Oh, my church is so poor, so poor. Look at my church. It's in the shack here. We have to serve Jesus. We serve Jesus. Oh, that's what we do. You say, oh, my. Let me just get back to Sheridan. See if we can just take a love offering with this poor guy preaching over here. But... I just follow up, and when I met this particular guy, I said, okay, let me ask you, do you love money, or do you love Jesus? Oh, um, 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 uh, well, I love money. Okay, and do you teach that we are gods, or do you teach that we are wretched sinners? And he says, gets a little nervous, oh, of course we are God. You see, if you don't know the theology of ATR, and I was speaking, by the way, Tsonga, when I was speaking to him, if you don't know the language and you don't know the theology, you're going to come over and say, wow, there's a great revival. You wait till I go back and tell the church, pastor's going to be a whole Sunday night. There's a revival going on. You know what? We're so rich. We go to High V and we buy orange juice. Shame on you. Those poor people are sitting over there so poor, just loving Jesus. Revival over there. They have no chairs to sit on full of love for Jesus. That's not what's happening. They're false teachers who think they are God. Uh, one of the women that I led to Christ in the new church plant, I told you, one of the women, I'm, I don't want to be deceptive. I've only led woman, one woman to Christ in that village. The woman that I've led to Christ took about two years of Bible studies when she was finally baptized somewhere in there we were talking about, where did you go to church before? And she said, I used to go to church at this shack over here. Why did you stop going? She said, because the pastor came and said, I need to give the tithe. I said, really? Um, what did you say? I said, I can't give the tithe because my husband left me. I have three children. I have no job because I'm so poor and I don't have a college high school certificate and I don't speak English. So I, I can't get a job. So the the pastor told her, well, no problem. I'll give you a discount on the tithe if I can just be your boyfriend. But you have to keep it quiet because I have girlfriends in other villages and I don't want it to get out. But since, since it's a discount for us, you know, you just have to serve me. That's common. You might laugh. You might find that disgusting. That's my point tonight. It is a useless way of life received from their ancestors. In 1927, a book was published on the cultural anthropology, that is the lifestyle and culture of the Tsonga people. In that book, he did an etymological study of the word kugangisa. It's a Tsonga word that means play around with fornication. It's still common parlance. There is no understanding of the Christian worldview. So they, they still have their African religion and they come in and call themselves Christians and pastors and they hold their Bible. And as I mentioned, I don't know who I mentioned to do today. They put their Bibles under their pillow because that's one of the ways that it will ward off evil spirits. Or you put it by your nightstand. And I've had a number of women tell me they will often wake up in the middle of the night and just anytime they hear noises, rub their Bible. Very common. It's not, it's not Christianity. Look at this guy. 2010 Financial and Prosperity Conference. Right here is a verse. The next picture is going to be a blow-up of that verse. Can you read this? Can anyone read that? Okay, let's start with the, the punctuation. Very important. What's that mark of punctuation? It's a quotation mark. So what you're about to read is a word-for-word quote from this guy's Bible. Jesus came on earth so that whosoever believes in him, 
Sounds pretty good. Should cease to be poor, but be forever wealthy. Close quote. What's the reference? That's blasphemous. That is the common religion of that culture. Alpheus Nyalungu is the pastor of the Elam church. That's the selfish church. If he were here tonight, he would say everything I've told you and more. He would tell you stories about the time he and his wife were at a church on Christmas Day. And they decided to have a bless the pastor day. Bless the pastor means you suddenly give gifts all that you can. The pastor's a woman, so she got a large chair at the front and said, we'll have blessed the pastor day. If you want this new year to be blessed, then you need to bless the pastor because I'm the one in their theology. She doesn't have to say all these things. The Africans know it immediately because they know their theology. I'm telling you because you don't know their theology. Bless the pastor. Of course, she's the go-between between you common people, you peons, and all the Shikwembu out there. And if you want the Shikwembu to stay off you for this year, you better bless her. So the people would come up and throw money at her feet, sometimes kissing her feet. And that's common. That kind of thing has happened repeatedly. On Easter Sunday, I went to a church, a false church. And the pastor, when I got there, on Easter Sunday, they decided to have a pastor appreciation day. When I said, but today is another day. It's the Lord's day. We're not supposed to think about the pastor. We're supposed to think about something else. And they said, oh, really? What are we supposed to be thinking about? There's no Christianity. Look at this guy. Christ to preach in hell. Christ will preach in hell from 1 to 30 July 2017. Many people will be moved from hell to heaven. Pray that your relatives will be removed from hell. Last year was 2017. 500 years after Martin Luther took a hammer and nail and nailed the 95 Thesis to that door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. When he got angry over what? This Don't say there's an amazing revival with most of the continent becoming Christians. We have a terrible problem. Christianity has spread in name only, but they don't know the power of the gospel. The first time I got into a taxi, I was greeting the people. And of course, I'm the only white guy in a bowl of chocolate. And so we're in there. I'm greeting the people. I'm speaking in Sangha. As we're in there driving along, the woman beside me looks over and says, Hey, um, um, you're speaking Sangha. Yes, I'm speaking Sangha. So do you have a girlfriend? I said, I'm married. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. And she says, what do you mean? All the pastors have girlfriends. Where did she learn that? That's because 2 Peter 2, when speaking about false teachers, says they have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. They're bound in their sin. They are slaves. Peter goes on to call them pigs and dogs. These are his words, but we are so neutered and emasculated, we can't even speak the words of Scripture. Look at this guy. There's something very important with this in the next picture. Oh, you, we, we could spend 30 minutes on this picture, but I'll just go quickly here. Freedom at last, Judgment Night 2. Has anyone read the book of Hebrews? How many times does our Lord die? Christ is sacrificed once in the end of the world. Once. Not twice or 25 times, but they don't care about theology. Because what they're going to do is, God will judge what? Poverty, lack, sickness, disease, barrenness. What's missing from that list? Yeah, we don't care about sin. Now look at the very next picture. This guy is a Christian pastor. And you see how rich his ad is? The very next advertisement is going to be for a witch doctor. It's the exact same draw card. Everything on the side. 
physical problems. You go to a witch doctor, he'll fix those. You go to a Christian pastor, he'll fix those. This was one of the men we chained at our Bible Institute. When I asked him, what's the state of Christianity? He said this, we are in desperate spiritual trouble. The number of truly born again people is minute. Most pastors are false teachers. This is Alpheus, the pastor at the Elam Church. Africa is in desperate spiritual trouble. Apart from Zambia, there's no African country that has a number of two churches that has put their feet on the true doctrine. Most pastors are false and lost. That would be my experience as well. Tanzania, ravaged by the health and wealth false gospel. Pastors that are little more than Christianized, what? That has been my conclusion. It's the same religion. Why is the continent poor? Because they've never been Christianized. They have taken a few Christian names because they want the white man's shikwembu. They want everybody's shikwembu to try to get them move up. But they have never repented. Because most of the evangelism has been done without knowing the language, in a superficial kind of way, looking for results, because, hey, we got to get results. They're looking for results. Rather than taking two years, three years, one lady in Elam took four years of weekly Bible studies, and she's now a member. She was baptized, when was Mama Yula baptized, Dame? 2010? Somewhere around 2010. She has persevered now for eight years after four years of Bible studies because we took time. She and her daughter and her second daughter. Here's a population survey of the rural areas. There's Africa. Slide across. 60% of the continent lives in the rural areas. When I say rural, I mean no cement roads. No access to jobs and very little infrastructure like electricity and running water. South Africa, 35 million living in the city. That's huge. Remember, because South Africa is the richest country on the continent. So everyone's illegally rushing from the other countries and flooding the cities. But look here in the rural area. How many? 19 million. Compare that with these other countries. My point is this. Africa is in desperate situation because the kind of Christianity it has does not repent of its sins, does not humble itself, does not take time to read the Bible. It still has a useless way of life received by tradition from their ancestors. They need men and women who love souls, who will live in a village, who will learn a very difficult language for which there is no language school, will put yourself and your family in a difficult place, So that you can learn the language and slowly chip a few converts out of the rock. We are so grateful that you have prayed for us and supported us. If you add up those churches in the rural areas, there are about 140 converts over the last 14 years in the rural areas. Not counting the people in in our church in the city. We would long for that to be another decimal point. Pray that way. Send your sons, send your daughters, and may God answer the prayers of his son. Let's close in prayer. Father, how we thank you for giving us the gospel. Thank you for giving us the Bible in 1384, John Wycliffe. Thank you for giving us a heritage of Christianity in this wonderfully blessed country. 
Thank you for America. Thank you for Grace Baptist and Sheraton. Thank you for the believers here. Thank you for your Son and for your Holy Spirit. Do make us grateful that Christ died for us. Make us grateful that we have a Christian heritage. Forgive us for being so ungrateful, such spoiled people with the riches of the gospel that we've been given. Grant that the men here might teach their children and pray each night with their children and their wives. Grant that we might lead our families in holiness and godliness. Thank you for the many missionaries sent out from this country. Oh, Lord God, do send more, more and more to the poorest places. And as we go out on Wednesday to speak to people, prepare the way for us. Help us to speak to them with a tear in our eye, the lake of fire in our mind, the cross of Christ lifted high in our heart. Grant that we might speak to people, that life might come. In Jesus' name, amen.